today I am continuing the series that our senior pastor James started last week called Living Free, uh, a journey through Galatians, where we're looking uh, at the book in the New Testament. Now, if you're new to church, um, just a quick uh, intro to what Galatians is. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to one of the churches he started. The Apostle Paul started loads of churches in the, uh, in the first century, uh, and he would then often write letters to them. And what we find in Galatians is his letter to the church in Galatia. Uh, And it was written not long after Jesus' resurrection, about 15 years or so. Uh, And in it, Paul is rebuking the church for turning away from the gospel. Uh, James highlighted last week, often Paul's letters start with lots of thanksgiving and, oh, I'm remembering you in prayer. I'm just so grateful for you and what the Lord's doing in you. Not so in Galatians. He comes in and he hits them hard right from the off. So it's a little bit of a different letter. But what we find is that throughout it, there is this theme of freedom that Paul is talking about the freedom that the gospel offers and he's rebuking the Galatians for turning away from it. So we're going to spend today in a little bit of chapter 2 and a little bit of chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to there. It's about probably roughly about 100 pages back in your Bible. If you don't have your Bibles with you, don't worry. The um, verses will come up on the screen. But whilst you're turning there, let me ask you the question. Have you ever done something out of fear of what others might think of you? Maybe the more apt question is, when was the last time you did something out of fear of what others might think of you? Maybe it was Monday morning last week, you're in work, chatting to your colleagues about what you did over the weekend, and they're like, oh, what did you get up to? And you're there being like, oh, I feel like I should probably tell them I went to church, I'm a Christian. But in that moment, you're scared of what they might think of you. They're scared that they might kind of pigeonhole you as the preachy Christian, might ask you tough questions about what you think on like morality and ethics, and you're just like, oh, I don't want to go there. Maybe it was over Christmas, you're with your friends and your family, maybe once you don't know Jesus, and someone's there and they've got a bad knee, and you're like, oh, you know what? I know that I should pray for this person. I know I should offer to pray for healing because God does break in. We see him move all the time in church. And in this moment, I should pray for him. But they don't believe that God heals. So what are they going to think of me? And in that moment, you bottle it. You know, we've all been there. I've been there plenty of times. And you know, if that's you here in this room, you're, you are not alone. You're in good company. Not just with me, not just with everyone else in this room, but with the apostle Peter himself. We're going to look at chapters uh, in chapter 2 at verses 11 to 16. And rather than reading all of them, let me just explain what's going on here. What we find is an exchange between the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. Now, if your Bible says Cephas, don't worry, that's just another name for Peter. Now, a little bit of backstory first. Peter was a Jew who became a disciple of Jesus. So he lived side by side with Jesus for the three years of his ministry. And we read in the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostle, Acts of the Early Church, Uh, that God used Peter to take the gospel to the Gentiles, people who weren't Jews. And this was a radical moment in the history of the Christian faith. It was like, wow, it's not just for Jews. It's not just for the people of Israel. It is for everyone. And, And God used Peter for that. So Peter takes the gospel to the Gentiles, they get saved, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And and the gospel has broken down religious and cultural divides. And then Peter is in Antioch. And though he's taken the gospel to the Gentiles, though he loves them, he's breaking down these religious and cultural divides, and he's eating with them, and he's socializing with them, suddenly a a group of Jews turn up, and and Peter's suddenly really scared of what they're going to think. And so he withdraws away from the Gentiles. But more than that, he actually takes the other Jews with him. And so suddenly, the divide has opened up again. And, And this isn't just, you know, oh... He's, he's withdrawing from eating with them. He's choosing to have dinner with some other friends. Now, this is a really culturally significant moment 
It's, it's really obvious to the Gentiles that what Peter is doing is he's withdrawing from them and going, you know what, you don't have full access because you're not a Jew. And Paul finds out about this, and he confronts Peter, which is quite a big deal because Peter's a pillar of the early church. But Paul is like, no, mate, this is not right. You are a hypocrite right now. And he does not hold back. And what we read in 11 to 16 is this exchange. So let's pick it up in verse 14. This is Paul saying this here. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, in front of everyone, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in him and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. I love the way that verse 14 starts. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. It's a great question to ask. When you are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. So how about for you? What, if you look back over the last few weeks, few months of your life, when are you not acting in line with the truth of the gospel? Now for some of us, it might be really obvious, there might be something that comes to mind. It's, we know it's wrong, it's a, it's a porn addiction, it's sex outside of marriage, it's jealousy. It's, you know, it's tax return season right now, I've got an you know, email reminder saying I need to fill my tax return out. Maybe it's fiddling the numbers on your tax return. And it's, like, it's really obvious, we know oh, that's wrong, that's not in line with the truth of the gospel. For others of us, it's a little bit more subtle. From the outside, it looks like we're doing the right things. But our hearts have grown cold to the poor. Maybe we've taken the rhythm of Sabbath, which is so important, and rest, but we've become selfish with it, and we, re we refuse to serve others on it. Maybe it's that, you know, we go, oh, well, I know I should read my Bible and pray, but actually I'm just riddled with anxiety and doubt. And you know what? The, the thing that happens when we begin to look through and we, we realize, okay, actually, there are parts of my life that I'm not living in line with the gospel. For those of us who follow Jesus, we can sometimes get confused, can't we? You know, we know that through Jesus' death and resurrection, that, that we're supposed to be set free from the power of sin and shame, and we're supposed to be living free. But the reality is that many of us don't feel free. You know, we've been Christians for years, but we're still struggling with the same pattern of behavior. Maybe we've recently come to faith, but we don't know why our life doesn't look that different. We know that we should live in line with the gospel, but actually, if we're honest with ourselves, we just find it really difficult to. The title of this series is Living Free. And one of the key verses that James introduced last week comes from the start of chapter 5 of Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Are you living free? Or where are you not living free? Okay, so how do we get free? Well, let's, let's dive back into Paul's response to Peter. What I love in Paul's response <clears throat> is that he doesn't dwell much on Peter's specific sin. So he doesn't hone in on Peter's actually quite racist and, and culturally divisive action. Though that, you know, obviously he needs to call that out and that's important. What he does is he says, you have forgotten the gospel. You know, Paul doesn't say to him, well, Peter, you know what? You're, you're a good Christian and, and a good Christian should love people and be kind to people and eat with everyone. So could you just actually go back and eat with the Gentiles? You know that's what you're supposed to do. 
No, Paul says, Peter, mate, we, you and I, we were strict Jews, weren't we? We've, we've gone about it all. We've done all the Jewish customs, all of the laws, but we've, we found out that that's not how you get free. We found out that those practices don't lead to righteousness. We're not saved by our works, you and me. And that's the same for them. That's the same for anyone who, who puts their faith in Jesus. They're not saved by their works. They're saved by their faith. So how, if you've got the king of creation justifying you, making you righteous, setting you free, why on earth are you scared of what those people might think about you? You've got it so wrong, man. You have forgotten the gospel. You are not living in line with its truth. You're not better than the Gentiles. There is no distinction between you guys anymore. So would you get rid of your fear? Would you get free from it? Would you live in line with the truth of the gospel in that area and go eat with your brothers and sisters? Paul goes straight to the heart here. He doesn't try and manage Peter's sin by saying, hey, could you just change your actions and then it'll be okay. Use your willpower to overcome the fear you have of what those people think about you. No, he points back to the gospel and is in effect saying, if you can grasp this again, if you can take your desire to appear holy and surrender that again to the truth of the gospel, then you will become free from the opinions of others and your actions will fall in line with the gospel. Let's jump to the start of chapter 3 because Paul hammers this home here. So the second half of chapter 2 is is Paul just explaining a bit more about his interaction with Peter and then chapter 3 begins and he turns to the Galatians. Let's pick it up in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, not holding back. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit by work and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul turns his focus on Galatians and he says, I just want to know one thing. Have you, I'm sure many of us have had that moment where maybe it's a spouse or a parent. And it's like, I just want to know one thing. And when they ask that question, what we know is that what they're saying is that one thing is the most important thing, that that you should know what that thing is and really that you were in the wrong with whatever that one thing was. And the same is happening here. And what is this one thing that Paul wants us to know? Well, we find out in verse 3. And actually, I prefer the ESV translation here. We're reading in the NIV, but the ESV puts it in a more helpful way. It says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now, just quickly, the idea of being perfected is is this idea of growing and maturing in Christ-likeness, growing in the freedom that Christ offers us. And the Greek concept of uh, of the word flesh really referred in part to human effort. So in Paul, what, here, what Paul means is our works of righteousness and our obedience to the law and that type of thing. So we could put it like this. We could put verse 3 like this. So you are set free by the Spirit. Are you now becoming free by your own efforts? That's the question that Paul is asking here. And the reality is that many of us have fallen into the trap that the Galatians have fallen into. And what's that trap? <clears throat> the trap is that we believe 
we graduate the gospel. So for those of us who know Jesus and love Jesus and follow him, we know that we're saved by the gospel. We know that Jesus died for us and it was an act of grace and that through, that, through faith in him, we are saved and, sanct- and, and, uh, and justified. But then we think that we grow and mature by applying biblical principles to every area of our life. Now, <clears throat> that seems like good advice. If you want to grow in generosity, be generous. If you want to walk in purity, stop watching porn. That's good advice. And look, there is some wisdom, or sorry, there is, there is a lot of wisdom in self-discipline. But our inability to act in line with the truth of the, truth of the gospel isn't simply a matter of lack of willpower. You just didn't try hard enough to be generous. You just didn't try hard enough to not watch porn. You just didn't try hard enough to not cheat on your spouse. Because if that's the case, the solution is to try harder. And if the solution is to try harder, that means that we're relying on our own effort. And Paul is saying here in verse 3, is that how you became a Christian? By relying on your own effort. No. Then why is that the way that you're going to grow? Paul is saying here that the key to walking in line with the gospel, the key to living free, is understanding that the way in is the way on. The way that we entered the Christian faith is the way we advance in the Christian faith. We never graduate the gospel. The way that we grow is by applying the gospel to every area of our life. Verse 5. He hammers at home. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, by your working hard, by your own effort, by the amount of Bible studies that you did in a week, by the amount of prayer meetings you went to, by the amount of tithe that you gave to the church? Or does he do it by believing what you heard, your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? It's not by obedience to the rules that we grow and mature. It's by obedience to the ruler. The spirit works in us as we stop relying on our own works. But what happens is we consciously and continually decide to rest in Christ alone for our acceptability and our completeness. We say, you know what, Jesus? I'm going to come back into your presence and I'm going to choose to believe the truth of the gospel here. That I am I'm justified and I'm sanctified by you. Paul, in, throughout Galatians, links the spirit and the gospel in the most inseparable terms. The spirit works as you apply and use the gospel. And where the spirit of the Lord is, as we read elsewhere in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we need to rely and use the gospel to allow the spirit to work in our lives and bring freedom. Okay, let's make this pra- practical. Let's say you have an anger issue, and not the good kind of righteous anger, you know, it's like injustice and homelessness, and you put the dishwasher, you put the dishes on the dishwasher, not in the dishwasher, those kind of things where it's like, that's legit anger. But let's say you have an actual anger problem where it's like, oh, this, this, is, this is not good, this is not healthy. Now, the reality is those of us who want to deal with it will do a couple of things. The first is behavior modification. We just might try and not react angrily. So whatever the trigger is, we will just try and not get angry. And at times, that will work. 
So let's say it's an issue, issue um, you know, in our jobs, and it's a colleague and stuff they say, and it's like, man, that triggers me, and I get so angry. Now, I'm just going to try and not. Now, that person said it, right. No, in this moment, I've not got angry. That's great. I'm just going to walk away. Wonderful. So at times, it will work. At other points, though, our willpower won't help. And that person triggers, and we fly off the handle, get really annoyed with them, whatever it may be. Now, the second thing that we might try is prayer. That's obviously a good thing. And we might pray something like this. God, I have a problem with anger. Would you remove it by your power? Would you give me the power to forgive the people who make me angry? Now, that's a good prayer, but it's not applying the gospel to that area of your life. See, what the Apostle Paul would tell us is that the uncontrolled bitterness in our lives that comes out as anger is as a result of us not living in line with the gospel. See, though we started in the Christian faith with Jesus as our saviour, in the area of life, whatever it may be, something else is acting as our functional saviour. We're looking to something else for our hope, looking to something else to make us feel good or to, com- to feel complete. And instead of ac- exercising our willpower against it, or just praying and hoping that God may take it away from us, we need to ask the question, if I am being angry and unforgiving, what is it that I think I need so much? What is being withheld that I think I must have if I am to feel complete? to have hope, or to be a person of worth. Maybe we want comfort above anything else. That's our highest priority. And someone else has made our life more difficult, and so we grow angry with them. Maybe we are so fixated on other people's approval of us that we get angry when anyone disrespects us or does anything to hit our popularity. Comfort or approval in those moments, they've become our functional saviour. In that moment, we're not looking to Jesus anymore. We're looking to those things. And when they get blocked, we get bitter and we get angry. The answer isn't then to try harder at controlling our anger. It's to identify the root issue and apply the gospel to that area of our life. In reality, the fruit is anger. So what's the root? And we can go around and we can just try and chop off a leaf here and chop off a branch there, but we never deal with the root. And so all that happens is it sprouts up elsewhere in our lives. Until we deal with the root, it's always going to come back. So how do we apply the gospel? to whatever area it is for you, look, it might not be anger for you. How do we do it, though? Repentance and exchange. We come before the Lord and we go back to the truth of the gospel, that it's all him and it's not us. And we say, Lord, I repent. I've been getting my value and my worth from what other people think of me. Forgive me for caring more about what they think than what you think. I receive again the gospel message that the creator of the universe wanted relationship with me enough to die for me. That I'm the apple of your eye, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that I'm co-heir with Christ. And we begin to declare the truth of the scriptures over us. And what happens is we begin to align our minds with the gospel And suddenly, someone showing you a lack of respect no longer has the power to evoke anger in you because you're like, the king of the universe loves me enough to die for me. He he made me. He fearfully and wonderfully created me. He knew me before time began. Oh, this guy doesn't like me. See? Do you know what I mean? It, It really shifts the way we begin to think. So what is it for you? As I'm sitting here, what areas of your life... Do you need to realign with the truth of the gospel? What issues do you need to repent of? 
You know, um, say for me, I, I have many of them. I've had many of them. And the Lord has done a deep work in, in my life over the last 10 years of beginning to identify different ones of them. And, uh, you know, what, one of them for me would have been really getting my worth from what others, others thought about me or my achievement in things. And, and it often outworked in my life in two ways. It either outworked in working really hard, you know, staying late at work, smashing through things, kind of ignoring family, friends, that kind of thing to, to get through stuff. Or it actually outworked in other ways where I became so paralyzed by the fear of failure that I just wouldn't do something. And I was like, well, I won't put any effort in in this moment because if I really try and, and I fail, what does that mean about me? And what the Lord began to do over a period of time was just unpack, actually, you know what? It's because you think your worth comes from how well you do this thing. It doesn't. It doesn't. I remember having this moment, amazing moment with the Lord uh, probably about eight years ago. And he just spoke this way. He was like, you are worth something. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I didn't realize in that moment that I had struggled with where my worth came from. But in that moment, it just broke something. I was like, oh, that you would think that I'm worth something. Completely void, devoid of my, of my actions, of how well I've completed a task. And it's like, that is, there's been a life-changing process for me as I've gone through. And then in different moments of my life, I've had to come and be like, Lord, you know, again, in this moment, I'm putting my worth on how well I do in this talk, in, in this discipleship moment, in my job, in my family, oh, you know, whatever it may be. The Lord has brought so much freedom in my life now. Look, you know, and it's still a journey. I've spoken many times about this, how when Jesus died for us and rose again, and we, and we accept him as faith, we were set free. But we're being set free, and we will be set free when Jesus returns. It's the, the, the mystery of the gospel. And so I'm still being set free, but I'm so much freer than I was 10 years ago. And we, we entitled this series, Living Free. And when we come and we preach on Sundays, when we gather as, the, as community, we're not just doing this to tick a box and go, oh, hey, this is a nice talk, wonderful, great, yeah, let's go eat lunch and have a nice day. No, we want to become freer. Our prayer is as a church that we would be freer people at the end of this series than, than when we started it. Because otherwise, what's the point? You could also be in bed. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're not just coming to, get, to go through a ritual. We're coming to encounter the living God, and we're coming to be equipped and instructed in the ways of God so that we can grow and mature into Christ-likeness and be free. The danger is some of us don't even know that we're not free because we have become so accustomed to the things in our life that hold us back, and they just go, that's who I am. You know what, that's a big thing in our culture right now, is actually, you know, it's the whole, it's okay to not be okay, it's, that's so good, it's so important, we need to talk about that kind of stuff. The danger is sometimes it leans so much into, oh, you have anxiety, that's okay, that's fine. I mean, that's just part of who you are. Oh, no, 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 you can be free from that. You can. And, and maybe you're here and you're just like, oh, I'm just a worrier. That's who I am happens when you read the Beatitudes? And Jesus is like, do not worry. Don't be anxious about a thing. And you're like, oh, oh, but I'm just a worrier. Maybe you don't have to be. Oh, I'm just a people pleaser. Maybe you don't have to be. And actually, maybe the Lord just needs to open your eyes to what, what the parts of your heart, the parts of your life that you have just been like, oh, that's just who I am. And you're not even realizing that you're not living free. You're not even realizing it's possible to not be bound by that thing. You don't have to go through your whole life worrying about every little detail, everything that you've said to someone, every action you've done. That is not freedom. For freedom, Christ set you free. 
He didn't set you free to be a nervous ball of wrecks about every conversation that you've had. So, just quickly as I come into close, how do we identify them? Because some of us, it will be obvious. Others of us, it will be like, I don't, just don't really know. I know that I'm not free, but I don't know what it is as the root issue. I can identify the fruit, but I can't identify the root. And you know what the reality is? It's a long process. It's not a simple fix. Um, <clears throat> just a couple of things. One, I would say it is a, it's a good thing to do with really trusted people. People that you love and respect. People that um, you know really love Jesus too. Because actually, as you start to ask the tough questions, you want people who are going to point you back into the truth of the scriptures, not into the truth of culture. So trusted people is really important. We have a couple of amazing, um, I guess I don't even know how to describe them, ministries in, in our church, one of which is Gospel of Wholeness, and one of which is Seize. Uh, and they are really practical tools in prayer ministry that we have people who are trained uh, to do that we would love to invite you to get in touch with us, and we will we'll journey them through with you. Now look, they're, again, they're not quick processes. But they are, they are what will bring fruit, the fruit of freedom. Our leadership year, which for, for those of you who don't know, it's a one-year internship where we, people come and we have teaching and they serve the church. It's amazing. But as part of it, we go through gospel of wholeness. And all of them, it's like, man, they're like, this has been so good. It's shown me, actually, the roots in, in my life I didn't realize were there. It's shown me where I go when actually the, those roots are affected. And actually, man, the, the Jesus is beginning to do a deep work in my heart to set me free from them. So, you know, if you're here and you're like, maybe that would be useful for me, chat to the host team, email us, info at cardiffinyard.org, and we'd love to put you in touch with the guys who lead those. Um, just one last thing I'll say to close. Memorizing scripture is also really useful. So if you notice in that exchange moment I said, when we repent and we exchange, we begin to declare biblical truth over ourselves. It's been so key for me, memorizing the scriptures. I'm being able to be like, in a moment where I'm like, oh, my worth, is it coming from my action? It's like, no, saved by grace alone. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Boom, right, okay, Lord, that's the truth. I'm going to align my mind with that. And I'd encourage you, Galatians is a book about freedom. If you want to live free, don't let Sunday be the only time you open the book of Galatians this month. Open it, meditate on it, read the verses numbers of times, meditate on them. Dwell on them, memorize them. That Jesus Christ loved me and died for me. When you start to get your head around that, it is going to affect you. It's going to change your life. When you begin to dwell on that, the danger is we read it and we go, oh yeah, we know that cool, wonderful, great, move on. That is profound. That God loved you and died for you. So as I finish, freedom is possible. Living free is possible, but it's only possible when we surrender every area of our life again to the gospel, when we come back to rely on the grace of God, when we realize we never graduate the gospel, whether we've been a Christian 10 days or 100 years, we never get past the gospel. The way in is the way on. The way we entered the faith is the way we advance in the faith. And so if we want to grow, if we want to change, if we want to become free, we have to surrender again to the gospel. Why don't we stand?